0: and uh, almost done with uh, our New Testament survey that we've been working on now for several months. John is the oldest of the apostles, the only one that did not die a martyr's death. Even though they tried to martyr him, it uh, didn't work, and uh, he uh, lived to be uh, at a fairly... Let uh, get my phone turned off here fairly old age, they believe somewhere around 90 or 92, somewhere in that range, uh, before he finally died, and God used him mightily to write uh, some, some great, great scripture for us. Uh, one of the ones that he's most noted for is Revelation, and, uh, but uh, these, three, these three letters that God used him to pen uh, are very powerful, powerful messages. We uh, just got done dealing with uh, the two letters that Peter had written, First and Second Peter. And in First Peter, as, as we've said so often, uh, many of the New Testament epistles, the letters, are written because doctrinal error was uh, rampant in the early church. There were a lot of people mistaken, not understanding things. Paul wrote to the, the church at Thessalonica because they didn't have full understanding. And one of the reasons was there were false teachers coming in. There were false apostles. And, uh, and teachers that were coming in and teaching false doctrine. and um, the, the Bible even says that uh, some of them were even ministers of Satan that were made to look like ministers of light. And, and so there was an intent. And so lest we think that we're in a unique situation today uh, with doctrine error, this is something that has been battled down through the centuries. And it's something that we've got to hold fast to, something we've got to make certain of. Uh, because having a pure doctrine... Is critical. It is vital to the eternity of man's souls. Uh, And so we've got to be so careful of these things. So John uh, is writing here no different than any of the other writers in, in the New Testament on these issues because he's concerned about doctrinal error and the false teaching that has gone on. Now Peter, when he dealt with it in his first letter, he told them that they needed to be steadfast and he used a reason of their salvation, that God had redeemed them as the foundation for his exhortation. He said, you've been saved. You've been blood-bought. God has saved you from your sin. Let's stay, let's stay true. Let's stay fast, steadfast in, uh, in the doctrine that you've been taught. His second letter, he changes the, the issue or the reason, and uh, he now says that we're to uh, fight doctrinal error by growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that you are saved... That there ought to be a progression of the Christian life of growing and uh, walking after the things of the Lord. And so Peter's second epistle uses that argument or that uh, foundational truth as uh, the challenge or the charge to remain doctrinally pure. Then we come to 1 John. John uses another uh, basis. And you say, well, which one should I use? All of them. Uh, The reason is God gave us all of them. We ought to be steadfast because we've been saved, we've been redeemed. We ought to be steadfast because we're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord daily. And the Holy Spirit continues to instruct us and to guide us and to mature us as Christians. John comes about and he says something a little bit different here. And again, not, not contradictory, but in addition to it, it adds us some more information, gives us some more information about how we're to hold fast to some things. And he uses the exhortation or the the motivation of uh, love. In fact, uh, it's quite, quite extensively used throughout this that we need to be remain steadfast because of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he deals primarily with uh, the fact that when we drift in doctrinal error, when we begin to live after the flesh again because of uh, the false teaching and the allure of the world, uh, that that breaks our fellowship with God. And if we love Him the way that we ought to, Uh, then we'll walk with him. He uses the term abide quite uh, extensively in this letter, uh, that we abide in Christ. And uh, we found that there's uh, uh, the the idea that uh, he tells us in chapter 1 that if a man says he doesn't have sin, that he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. Then we get over to chapter 3, and it says that if we're abiding in him, that uh, we won't sin. And some people say, well, then those two verses seem to contradict one another. Uh, but they don't, they don't contradict at all. Uh, what he's dealing with is our abiding in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, it, it leads us to a life of not sinning. And it's when we get out of that time of abiding in Christ, which is always the case in our human life, in our human flesh, we drift in and out of abiding with Christ the way that we should. That those are the moments that we sin. And he puts this in, in, a, in, a, in a contrast here that there are two loves that he speaks about. One is our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he equates that, or he, he uh, causes that to be associated with our abiding in Christ. And then there's the love for the world. And this is the, the love that our flesh has for things that are carnal, things that are wrong. And these two loves are constantly against one another. Uh, you cannot love both of them. They're, they're contrary to one to the other. The book is written uh, in, in two sections. Basically, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> in chapter one, through the middle or towards the end of chapter number two, he lays a foundation and he says, "This is the basis of our fellowship with the Lord. This is what allows us to have the opportunity to fellowship with God." I, I think that's an amazing thing. It's something that you and I need to make sure we we take a look at quite often and express our gratitude for it because the truth is god is absolutely holy in every aspect the bible says in him is no darkness at all and then you have us and we are sinful man and to reconcile us to be able to fellowship one with another the bible tells us that uh, that we should not uh, have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness and Because the the idea of the the works of darkness and the carnality of the world does not, it's directly opposed to the holiness of God. It does not have fellowship. And uh, for us to be able to fellowship with the Lord is an amazing thing. And so John deals with this issue of uh, the fact that we have fellowship with God because we are redeemed, we are bought with a price, and our love for the Lord ought to be that which motivates or drives us to have fellowship with him. In fact, he goes so far as to say this, that if we say that we love uh, God and we hate our brother, the truth is not in us. And he's using this as a, uh, uh, an evidence. Let's, let's use that term. That our love for God is the evidence of being redeemed. Uh, Herein do men know that ye uh, are my disciples and that ye love one another. And there's a truth that John brings out here, which I think is very amazing, uh, and that is when our love for the Lord is what it ought to be, then our love for one another will be what it ought to be. And very, very important. So he deals with this idea of the basis of fellowship. We dealt with that last week, chapter 1 through chapter 2. So the conditions of fellowshipping with God, there are several of them, and I want to give them to you very quickly. In chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, We find that there is the condition to fellowship with God that we walk in the light. In order for us to have fellowship with Him, we need to walk in the light as He is in the light. We need to make sure that we are living a life that is holy, that is clean, that is following after the things of the Lord. The second condition for fellowship is found in chapter 1, verse 8, down through chapter 2 and verse number 2, and that is our confession of sin. Now, make sure that you do not get this confused as... Being the uh, dealing here with our salvation. This is not dealing with salvation in this case. Uh, we have already got that matter settled. This is a letter that is written to those that are Christians. Uh, we don't lose our salvation. It is an issue of broken fellowship that sin causes. And if we are going to have the right kind of fellowship with the Lord, if we're going to make sure that there's the, the kind of walking with Him that we should uh, have, it is necessary for you and I to confess our sin. And he tells us that if we confess our sin, chapter 1, verse number 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, very important that we keep uh, this account with God clear and open. Um, The next condition for fellowship, we need to walk in the light, we need to confess our sin. And then chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, he tells us that we need to obey His commandments if uh, going if we're going to have fellowship we need to obey him <clears throat> it's hard to it's hard to have fellowship with someone that you're opposing that you're rebelling against that you're saying i know you said this but i'm not going to do it it's hard to have that fellowship with him <clears throat> there are a few times in my life as a child although not very often because i was pretty much a perfect child brother bill could probably attest to that that i was never grounded or given weapons or anything like that i'm sure he remembers none of those things ever happening to me but i do remember those times that i disobeyed my mom and dad and i'll be real frank with you my fellowship with my mom and dad wasn't what it should have been during those times uh it was once those things were taken care of and we dealt with them that that fellowship was restored and the same thing holds true with our relationship with the lord and what a beautiful picture it is uh to see this so uh there needs to be obedience to God in order to have fellowship. You cannot disobey Him and claim to have fellowship with Him, claim to walk with Him. And uh, then he tells us in chapter 2, verses 7 to 14, <clears throat> that in order for us to have fellowship with Him, we need to have love one for another. You cannot hate your brother and say you love God. Uh, John says it just, just doesn't happen. Uh, you're you're going to love them both. If, if you love God the way you should, and you're fellowshipping Him with Him the way you should, then you're going to love one another. Uh, the way that you should. That means you're going to be forgiving, you're going to be long-suffering, you're going to be patient with one another, uh, the way that God was patient and uh, forgiving to you. And so, uh, this deals with our uh, the what's required uh, for us to have fellowship one with another. And then he cautions of two things that will break or cause us to not have fellowship with the Lord. And uh, the first one is found in chapter two, verses fifteen to seventeen, a very familiar passage. Many people can quote this one, and that is a love for the world. When we love the world and we follow after the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, uh, the Bible says that the love of the Father is not in Him. And so we do not have fellowship with Him when we love the world. And so again, you've got a choice here. Uh, We're either going to love God with all of our hearts, or we're going to love the world, and you cannot mix the two. If you say, well, I'm going to love God, but I still love this over here, then you've broken that fellowship with the Lord. We are not fellowshipping with Him the way that we should. And it's going to cause us to fall into doctrinal error. We're not going to follow after the things that God has told us if we're not fellowship with Him the way that we should. We're going to be susceptible to the alluring, the, the enticing of the world. And so He warns them. He says this will break fellowship. If you love the world, uh, the things that are in the world, uh, then this will break fellowship. The second thing He gives us is in uh, chapter 2, verses 18 to 27, this spirit of Antichrist, following after people that are anti-God and listening to what they have to say, having this spirit inside of them that even though they know, and, and this would be a spirit of Antichrist, to say, I know that the Bible says this, but, and then you put anything behind it you want to, Uh, and I've I've been that way in my life over the years in a few areas, and I've I've had to get some things right in those areas because I've known that the Bible taught one thing, and I wasn't living that way. Uh, But there are people that are content. Have you noticed this? There are people that are content to live in carnality, knowing it's one thing to do it in ignorance. It's another thing to do it knowing that the Bible says this. And so when you have this spirit, and and we're not saying you are the Antichrist, but Peter uses this phrase uh, that this is a spirit of Antichrist. In other words, you're against the things that God has given you in your life. This will break fellowship with God uh, to have this kind of a spirit to say, I'm not going to listen to uh, what the Bible tells me. Uh, This book has to become the sole authority of faith and practice in our lives. It's got to become... Not just something we know, but something we live. And I heard a fellow say this one time. He said, the King James Bible is the second best translation of Scripture that's out there. And before you jump on this, he said, the first one is the King James Version Bible lived out in your life. Because that's what men see. And I understand what he was saying. Uh, We hold to the fact that King James Version is the preserved Word of God without error. Uh, But it would be so much better, I think, in this world if you and I would live... What this book says, because to not do so is to break fellowship with Him. We there's something between our our fellowship with God, our time spent with Him. So this is the basis of our fellowship. The second part of the book deals with uh, characteristics of fellowship. What what does it look like to have the right fellowship with God? What are some of the things that um, that kind of help us to see uh, that fellow true fellowship is taking place in a person's life? Now. I'm want to, to preface this by saying anytime there's a list given of something like this, there is a uh, an, an inclination that we have to perform this list outwardly and to not have it be produced from the heart. And we've got to be careful of this because when we teach something like this, If we don't have them in our lives, our our inclination is, well, I'm going to make that happen outwardly. Well, that's not where the problem lies. The problem lies with the fact that our heart has not been producing that. So we need to go to the heart first and say, okay, what has hindered me? Do I have a love for the world? Do I have a spirit of antichrist? Am I trying to to live in opposition to what the Bible says? What is it that's hindering me from having these characteristics of fellowship? Because the truth is, the characteristics of fellowship are fruit that are born out of a heart that loves the Lord. And again, it comes full circle. It comes back to the idea of loving God with all of your heart. And uh, the, the battle being, and the contrast being love for God or love for the world. And that's really the the singular battle of the Christian life is that is that battle. My will or God's will. And if we can ever get a grasp on it, that, that the, the Christian life, victory in the Christian life is that simple. It's a single choice. Love for God or love for the world. My will or God's will. And we try to overcomplicate sometimes the, 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 the victory of the Christian life, living the Christian life the way we should. It is literally that simple. It is a simple choice that we make every moment of every day. Am I going to have my will done or am I going to have God's will done in my life? And so uh, there are several characteristics that he gives here. In chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3 and verse number 3, uh, he shows that one of the characteristics of fellowship is purity of life. Uh, I've heard so often times people say, "Well, it doesn't really matter how you live; God knows your heart." And they'll use a verse of Scripture that's taken way out of context. Uh, when Samuel was anointing David, and uh, as as king of Israel, and uh, and Samuel's looking at the men of the of Jesse, and he sees the oldest, and boy, they look good, and they're they're top of the line, and and Samuel's questioning God somewhat as to why he's not choosing one of them and God makes it known to Samuel man looketh on the outward appearance but God looketh upon the heart and sometimes people will use that verse and they'll use it in such a way as to say well it doesn't matter how you are on the outside well it absolutely matters what you are on the outside because it is a it is a fruit of fellowship right fellowship with God Purity of life, holiness. Uh, We're living in a corrupt society. We're living in a dark world. We're living in a world where it is becoming popular to live sinful. And it is becoming unpopular to live holy and to live right. And it's important for us as God's people to say, Listen, I'm going to be pure in my heart, not just for the sake of being pure but because I want, my fellowship with God is such that this purity of life just seems to be what I want to do. It's the desire of my heart. It is born out of my love for what God has done for me that I want to please Him in every aspect of my life. That ought always to be the motivating factor of standards. That ought always to be the motivating factor of holy living. Uh, we, we oftentimes talk about and preach on the issue of standards and right living and holiness, and, and we almost put it to the point of uh, you know, It's obedience. You must do this. You have a great debt. There's no doubt we should obey God. There's no doubt we have a great debt. But the motivating factor for our, our standards ought to be because we love Him. Not because our pastor got up in the pulpit and shamed us into it. Not because everybody that we associate with in our church all have that same standard. Our standard ought to be because we want to please God. There ought to be a purity of life that is born out of our fellowship with Him. I don't think it's wrong for a preacher to preach on standards. I think it's a great thing. But just because the preacher preached on it is not the reason to have it. It may help us to understand that there's a need for it. But the reason we have it is because we love Him with all of our hearts. We love the Lord with everything that we have, and we want to please Him. And it is, it is one of the things that, that John says is a mark, it is a characteristic of fellowship with Him. We're walking in the light as He is in the light, and we have fellowship one with another. It's one of these things that the holiness and the purity that is born out of that is a sign of our fellowship with God. And you can rest assured that because there is a great opposition between the things of the world and the things of God, that when we are not living holy and we are not living pure, And I'm telling you this not because this is my opinion of it, but because the Bible teaches us this here. That when our life is that way, when we're living the carnality of the Christian life, when we are living in in open sin or in, in intentional sin or in sin that we long to do, it is because our fellowship with Him is not right. It is not what it should be. And it ought to drive us to our knees and say, Lord, this has been a battle in my life, it's been a problem in my life, and I want to have fellowship with You because I love You. Help me with this matter. And He will. He will. If we walk in the light, as He is in light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleansing us from all sin. And so uh, we find in chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 3, that one of the characteristics of right fellowship is is a purity of life. The second characteristic that, that John gives us here is found in chapter 3, verses 4 to 12. Chapter 3, verses 4 to 12. And that is the practice, and, and you can say, well, this is almost the same thing as purity of life. One is a heart condition, the other is an out, outflowing of it and the actions that we do. But the practice of righteous living, the practice of righteous living. And putting this purity of heart, this purity of mind, this purity of thought into practice in our lives. Uh, then we find in chapter 3, verses 13 to 24, chapter 3, verses 13 to 24, that we love not only in word, but in deed. We love not only in word, but indeed. Again, coming back to two areas of love that, this will, that John speaks of in this letter. One of them is the love that we have for God, which is our first priority. And then the other one is the love that we have for one another. And uh, by the way, it's interesting for us to note this, uh, that I think it's in the book of Matthew, and I I should have looked the reference up and had it for us today, but uh, in the book of Matthew, there's a statement made that talks about the fact that if we uh, we hate not our mother and our father and our sister and our brother, uh, and, and, and the idea that we should love God, and, and hate and hate our mother and father and sister and brother. The, 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 the contrast that's given there in Matthew is not telling us that we should have hatred towards them, but the fact that our love for God ought to pale or that our love for our, our family ought to pale in comparison to our love for God. And it's showing a contrast of how much we should love God versus how much we love our own families. Now you can think through this a minute. How much do we love our parents? How much do we love our children? And boy, I hope, I hope you can say, as, as I do, with all of our heart, we love them. And what, what they're trying to get to in the book of Matthew when they deal with that passage of Scripture is our love for God ought to so far exceed that, that it makes the love that we have for our family look as if it's hatred. Seem as if it's no love at all. Because we love God so much. In fact, Jesus in His earthly ministry was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? remember what Jesus' answer was? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. He said, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he said, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. In other words, every other thing in Scripture hangs on that truth. That in obedience to the Bible, the priority above all of them. And in fact, I would say this. The only way we can ever accomplish all of them is by first having a love for Him that far exceeds anything else in our life. Our obedience to God ought not just be because we have to, because that's what our pastor said. It ought not to be because, well, I'm a Christian and I know the Bible says I've got to obey. It ought to be because we love Him. And it ought not be something that's grievous to us. In fact, I think it was John who said that the commands of God are not grievous to us. We love Him. We, we want to please Him. We want to do these things. There's a big difference between what we want to do and what we have to do. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan every month when my bills come in the mail of sitting down and writing out the checks and, and paying them because I have to pay them. But there are times that happened this morning. I went to breakfast. My daughter's there waiting on me and, She's like, Dad, I'm having a hard week the week this week and I'm only getting five hours at this one job and I'm supposed to get more hours and I hope I can and I got done and when I wrote the tip I wrote a tip in there that cost more than my meal. And I did it gladly. And I did it with a thrill in my heart. And I don't feel that way when I write my checkout for, for my bills, because I have to pay those. But when it's somebody I love and somebody I, 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 with all of my heart, I just love them. And I, I'm thrilled to do that. Can I tell you this? That when we love God the way that we should, it's not, a, it's not a grievous thing to obey His commands. It's not something that we say, well, I'll obey, but I'm not really going to enjoy this. No, no, we thrill to obey Him. We devour His Word. We, we look into it to say, Lord, how do you want me to live? And I love living this way. And so very important we understand this. And John writes of that in chapter 3, verses 13 to 24. And then he says this in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He talks about a mark of fellowshipping with God uh, being that we test the spirits to make sure they be of God. This is, this is so crucial in the day that we live. Look with me in chapter 4. I'm going to read a few of these verses because I think it's so vital that we understand this in the days that we live especially he says this in verse number 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So it was here even in that first century church. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we can see it happening in our world today. There are so many false teachers and false prophets that are standing in buildings today, this morning, while we're meeting here, that stand behind a a pulpit, uh, and they will teach or they will preach some other Christ than what is found in this book. And you can mark it down, they're Antichrist. They have a spirit of Antichrist. It is a mark of not having fellowship with the Lord. What characterizes true fellowship with God is that there will be a testing of the spirits. We'll make sure that we're following things that are pure in doctrine and in teaching. You say, well, how do I know that? There's two ways we find out if it is pure doctrine. Number one is by reading the Bible and making sure it's in agreement with this book. And the second one is with the affirmation of the Holy Spirit in our hearts saying, that's right. When we read it in Scripture, He has a way of bringing illumination to that passage and helping us see the doctrine to be true. The Bible is very clear about that. That this comforter that God was going to send, that Jesus Christ said would come after He ascended back to heaven, He said when He comes, He's going to teach you in all truth. He's going to help you to understand it. And so it's very important that we test the spirits. In the day that we live, it is vitally important Because we have churches, good churches, churches that have been biblically sound for years and preachers that have been biblically sound for years that are changing. And they're they're changing their doctrine, they're changing things. Now, I will say this. If there is a biblical reason to change your doctrine, then change it. But if there is not, don't change it. Don't change it. Our doctrine must come from this book. Not from a preacher, not from an association, not from a convention, not from a a, a conference. It comes from this book, which is why it is so vitally important that we have a pure Word. Our doctrine comes from it. The next characteristic that he gives us is found in chapter 4, verses 7, through chapter 5 and verse number 3. And that is uh, to love as Christ loved. He tells us that we're to love the same way that Christ has loved us. That would go a long way in the world today. I was talking talking with someone last week. Been hurt in ministry. I will say this. What they said shamefully was true. And what they said was this. They said people that I know that are not even saved have treated me better than those that are in my church. What a shame. What a shame. That God's people have not learned yet, in many cases, to love the way Christ loved. I'm firm I'm a firm believer. And preaching hard against sin. If we're going to get mad at anything, let's get mad at sin. I'm a firm believer in standing fast on the doctrine of God's Word and not compromising. And I think we ought to be solid on that. But oh, we need to learn to be long suffering and forgiving and gentle and gracious one with another. You can be steadfast. Can I help you with something? You know it's possible to go to a brother that's overtaken in a fault. And you can point out the fault and do it in a gracious way. And do it with a heart that's broken out of concern for them and a desire to try to be an encouragement and a help to them in overcoming it. And offer to pray and offer to be a help to them along the way without sitting there and criticizing them and cutting them off And casting them out of your life? Oh, that we would learn to love as Christ loved. I'm thankful that He commended His love toward me. And that while I was yet a sinner, He died for me. Oh, that we would learn to love. Isn't it amazing? Christians will go out of their way to try to love and help and reach an unsaved person that's living in a way they should not live because they're unsafe. But when a Christian is overtaken in a fault, we treat them far different, don't we? We begin to criticize. We begin to post it on social media. By the way, folks, don't ever vent on social media. Don't do it. I, I think even by Christian by, by biblical principle, we could say that's actually wrong to do. Be careful, folks. We need to learn to live love the way that Christ loved. And this is a mark of our true fellowship with Him. There are several things that will happen when we have the right kind of fellowship with God. Consequences. These are things that will be produced when our fellowship with God is right. In chapter 5, Verses 4 and 5, we'll have victory over the world. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And when we're walking in the light, and where we're following after the things of the Lord, and our love for Him is what it ought to be, and our fellowship with Him is what it ought to be, it helps us to overcome the world. The second thing it'll do in chapter 5, verses 6 to 13, is it will help us to keep our assurance of our salvation. It'll keep us from doubting it. I don't know how many times, not only in my life, but in the lives of people that I have talked with, that when we go through those times of living after the world or we drift away from the things of the Lord or our life is not what it should be, it's because our fellowship has not been what it should be, and that's what's caused it. But it's amazing that when we begin to live carnally, even as a Christian, you know what happens? We begin to question, well, am I really saved? If I can live this way, am I really saved? Well, let's not live that way. Let's love God with all of our hearts. Let's seek to please Him with all of our hearts. Let's follow after Him. And then we'll be able to say with confidence, God has done a great work in my life. He's made a change. And I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. When I did finally get saved at the age of 13, there was a marked difference in my life. Such that, Every time I've ever had any inkling of a doubt, I look back to it and say, boy, God did a great work there. He changed me. There was something different. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I don't sin. But When we're fellowshipping with God the way that we should, it helps us to have assurance of our salvation and not to doubt. Not to doubt. Chapter 5, verse 14-17, to that He helps us to know how best to pray. When we fellowship with Him, He guides He guides us in our praying. It's one of the characteristics of what is produced when our fellowship is right with Him. And then lastly, in chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, freedom from habitual sin. When we're fellowshipping with God the way that we should, He delivers us from habitual sin in our life you can mark it down, if we have a sin that is a besetting sin in our life, we are not fellowship with Him the way that we should. Because when we fellowship with Him the way that we should, when our love for Him is such that we want and long to have His fellowship in our life, because sin and the righteousness of God are so diametrically opposed, because the spirit of loving God with all of our hearts and the spirit of Antichrist are so diametrically opposed, you cannot fellowship with God the way that we should and be involved in habitual sin it's not going to happen one or the other is going to change we're either going to live in habitual sin and the fellowship be broken I'm not talking about salvation I'm talking about your fellowship, your walk with God or you're going to walk with God and your fellowship is going to be right and you're going to be able to have victory over that habitual sin You say, Pastor, is this your opinion? No, this is what John writes about. This is what the Holy Spirit of God gave for him to pen in this chapter. John's dealing with the same issues that Peter dealt with. False teachers, enticement from the world, to follow after worldliness, ungodliness. He's battling the same things. But he uses a different motivation. His motivation in this case is, love God with all your heart fellowship with Him, long to walk with Him. does an amazing work in our life. I found when I live carnally and worldly, when I begin to let things slip, I can mark it down. My walk with Him, my fellowship with Him has not been what it should be. Every single time you can mark it down. And when I get, get to that point and I realize, boy, I need to to make sure that I'm walking with God the way that I should and I begin to follow after Him and work on that relationship with Him I begin to confess the sin and get those things right and I begin to follow after the things of His Word in obedience and a love for Him that it causes me to live more righteously than I was before not perfect but sure a greater desire to live in a way that is pleasing to Him why? because I love Him with all of my heart. It makes a big, big difference. So I hope that will be a help to you. Next week we'll deal with 2 John. And uh, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. We'll be ready to go here in about 10 or 12 minutes. All right? Let's stand together. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless the teaching of it.